Welcome to The World of Migration, a podcast from the Migration Policy Institute that seeks to spotlight interesting trends, policy developments, and voices on myriad aspects of immigration around the globe in ways that go beyond the headlines. My name is Susan Fratsky, and I'm a senior policy analyst with MPI. For today's episode, we are talking about an essential aspect of international travel that uh, any of us listening who are citizens of the United States or Europe uh, can see as an afterthought, travel documents. We all bump up against the need for a passport or another kind of travel document when we have to cross international borders. But anyone who has ever lived abroad for any length of time knows that travel documents like passports are also very necessary to get a visa or register with local authorities in the country where you might be studying or working. And eventually, of course, you need a travel document to return to your country of origin. When many of us encounter these situations, we simply hand over our passports without a thought. But for someone who is a refugee, the situation is often much more complicated. For a refugee who is living in a host country and wants to travel internationally for school or to work, or even to see family and friends abroad, it can be extraordinarily difficult to get any kind of travel document, let alone a passport. There are many reasons for this that range from policies in the host or destination countries to how travel documents themselves are issued and read at border crossings. To help us dig into these barriers and understand what can be done to address them, I'm delighted to be joined by two guests today. First, we have Adieu Achu, who runs Monikado, a woman and refugee-led organization in Kenya. Adieu has firsthand knowledge of the importance of refugee travel documents. She traveled on one herself in 2019, and she works with fellow refugees now to access higher education opportunities and uh, access travel documents if they need them. Welcome, Adieu. Uh, thank you so very much, uh, Susan. It's my pleasure to be able to speak about the challenges and the thing that refugees face to be able to move from one country to another one. Second, we have Jackie Keegan. Jackie is Deputy Director of the Division of International Protection at the UN Refugee Agency, commonly known as UNHCR. She is responsible for resettlement and complementary pathways. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to start off by asking you, Adieu, about your experience getting a travel document as a refugee. We know that there are many reasons why someone might need to travel internationally for study or for work. Could you begin by telling us why you needed to travel? First of all, being in a refugee camp, we have restriction of movement. So personally, I needed a refugee that is conventional traveling document for refugees to be able to go outside the country, maybe to attend some of the international conference, that is youth conference or uh, refugee-led organization conferences. And uh, some they also need it for education. But personally, at the first place in 2019, I, wa- I wanted to have um, a conventional traveling document so that I can attend the Global Refugee Forum that happened in 2019. So that was my first time that I had applied for, I applied for the um, conventional traveling document. And what was the process of getting a travel document like? So the process of getting a conventional traveling document for the refugees was not that easy. Personally, it was a bit frustrating because if I wasn't invited by the UNHCR, it could have taken me almost two years to be able to have an access to the traveling document. So personally, because it was the UNHCR that um, uh, invited me to the Global Refugee Forum, 
it wasn't that easier. It wasn't that much hard. It was a bit easier, but it took three months for me to be able to get it. So I had to apply. I also have to look for one of the host community or a Kenyan person to be able to send, write a recommendation about me and also wait for three good months so that I can be able to, to get her to, 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 so that the government can be able to issue it to me. So it was a tiresome process. It was frustrating at the first place. And just to clarify, you needed to go, you said you needed to go to UNHCR and the host country government to get the document. You weren't able to travel on the passport of your origin country, right? Yes, uh, as much as I was invited by UNHCR, there's no way that I could have traveled with my uh, uh, passport from my country. But again, I never had any passport. So the only thing that I had was the refugee alien card. And then now I had to support my alien card with the conventional traveling document to be able to access uh, other borders within Africa and outside Africa. Jackie, I want to turn to you now from your perspective at UNHCR. Is the experience that Adieu is describing common? So she she mentioned having to go to uh, both UNHCR and to the host country government and then wait for several months. Uh, is that usually how this process works? Certainly how it's worked in the past. When travel documents were, uh, were issued on the basis of um, pre-printed documents that UNHCR brought and then the government would validate on the strength of, uh, of refugee registration, the process would have been very cumbersome and certainly would have included those two steps. More and more travel documents are issued directly by government authorities, by state authorities, through the same mechanism that issues passports to nationals. Uh, that, that that this new mechanism is uh, is not in place everywhere. It's only in place in, in a small number of countries at the moment, but it is certainly the way that we'll have to go as we move towards more machine-readable documents and so on. The the challenge I think that refugees have faced up until now and, and including now in many places is that they had to justify the need for travel, that they had to come up with a reason that was somehow acceptable to uh, whether it was UNHCR or states or anywhere else, rather than uh, working, all of us working on the, the presumption that refugees have the same rights and, and opportunities potentially as others, and that they should be able to, for the payment of a fee and the, the normal waiting time for a document in that country, they should be able to access a document that will allow them to take up those opportunities. So that's a, it's a shift in mindset, as well as a shift in the, the sort of technology and systems that are now in place in, in the modern world. So Adieu mentioned that uh, it wasn't actually possible for her to use uh, a passport from the, the country she was from to travel. Uh, could you explain a bit about why, why, that's, why that would be, why it's not possible for a refugee to travel on their home country passport? So a refugee, by definition, has had to leave their country and seek the protection of the international community of a country of asylum against being forced to return home to where their life or freedom may be threatened. And while in the country of asylum, generally speaking, they would have documents that would allow them to remain there, but in order to take up work or study or family or leisure opportunities elsewhere, they, like everybody else, needs a travel document. And that travel document needs to pre pre prevent them from being inadvertently uh, returned to their, their country of origin, to the place where they may be in danger. So as of 1922, 
different forms of travel documents have been issued throughout throughout the last hundred years, which have been essentially valid for every country sub- subject to visa, except the country uh, from which the person came. In 1951, the, the Refugee Convention provided a model document, but of course with technology and time and, and more interest in security and more capacity to uh, manage security through digital identity, it has become important that states issue a machine-readable travel document and that refugees are able to be uh, moved through the system in the same way as non-refugees. And so therefore, states need to issue refugees travel documents in the same way that they issue travel documents to their own citizens and to diplomats, etc. And as you mentioned, needing to go to both UNHCR and the the host country where she was living, uh, who is actually responsible for issuing the travel documents? Is that something UNHCR does or is that the host country government's responsibility? No, state, states are responsible for travel document issuance and have been since the 1940s, actually. But UNHCR, prior to the, the days of the machine-readable, the biometric travel documents, UNHCR used to print the, the, the documents themselves, which states would then use uh, and by validating them, by putting in the refugees' data and so on. So the document would still have been issued by the state, but UNHCR had a role in that. And therefore, because the documents were limited, they were quite expensive and they, they came for free, people would need to go through UNHCR to apply for uh, the, the first step in the process. That really shouldn't be necessary. Refugees should be able to go through a procedure that is at least similar to the procedure that is used by the nationals of the country of, of asylum. So Adieu, coming back to you, um, you also work with other refugees, helping them access travel documents. What uh, what experiences have you seen with um, with the the others who you work with? What challenges have they faced in actually accessing travel documents? So mostly I help students to have a traveling document. That is a conventional traveling document for the refugees. So it's a bit quiet, um, heavy, and also challenging for for me to be able to to help these uh, women and the students to uh, to have such. So, for instance, if it was facilitated by UNHCR, it will be a bit easier. But now coming out, because I'm not the, I'm the, I don't work for UNHCR, it's a bit hard because sometimes you have to justify the reason why you need, uh, they need this traveling document, number one. And then number two, uh, they had, the, the government have to verify the, the, the justification or the reason to traveling outside of the country. Let's say it's, it's about education. So when one have an admission, Admission is not enough to be able to give one a traveling document. What they do also, they have to contact the school, which may take time. Because whoever is in charge of admission is not the person who is in charge of finance or whoever is in charge of finance is not able to, to be in charge with the scholarship. So it's become a chaotic scenario whereby somebody has to postpone their semester because uh, basically then they're waiting for their traveling document to be issued. Another problem is validity of that um. Uh, passport or validity of that traveling document. Let me put it into that. So this pass, uh, this um, traveling document may be valid for two years, to which the studies is four years. So one has to go to for country of where they are going to study. Let's talk an example. We have so many students who have gone to Costa Rica, that is uh, South America, for at the university of sponsored by the uh, Mastercard Foundation and others in Rwanda at Africa Leadership University. So they have to go and spend two years and come back to Kenya so that they can be able to renew. And the process from day one to the renewing is still the same. 
you have to justify yourself you also need to know why so it's become a challenging for them also to come back and renew this um uh traveling document so um the process it's from the beginning to the end you have to like there's a bit of obstacle before getting that traveling document so you and and the students that you work with when you've actually used the travel documents to uh, to travel from one country to another have you run into or seen any difficulties in terms of actually getting the document recognized at the border? Yes. One problem that refugees face is the recognition of the document. Last year, we, ha we had this scholarship called uh, a Shinega, um Scholarship in USA. These students were able to obtain conventional traveling document now, but applying for the visa at the United States of America Embassy was an issue because they said that you are a refugee going, to US, going into USA. What assurance do we have that you will get back to your country after the uh, education? So this person had to sign a consent form, but still they were not convinced, you know? So again, there's some other states that don't recognize the refugees traveling document. Let's talk of the Arab world. During the, the World Cup, we had delegates from refugees community from Kakumu who were to go and attend the World Cup. They were denied saying that our government does not recognize such uh, passport. Another challenge that I know is, for instance, even within the African countries like Ethiopia, they don't recognize such um, traveling documents. So it's a big challenge whereby borders and communities and societies are not opening their borders and they're they are not welcoming refugees into their country because they're not actually uh, recognizing their traveling documents. So this traveling document, it acts as a passport for refugees. We have no any other passport apart from that. But still, as much as it's a traveling document, it seems like it's a traveling document with limits. It's not just like the any other uh, traveling document that anybody can obtain who is not a refugee. So we don't understand, is it the status of a refugee or is it the passport itself or the traveling itself that is bringing issues? Jackie, I want to turn, turn to you to... Um maybe put some of the challenges that Adieu has mentioned into context. She mentioned a couple of different things. One was that uh, travel documents often are issued for a very short time period, time period maybe only uh, two years, which may not be long enough. And uh, she also mentioned, of course, that uh, travel documents might, might not be recognized by the embassy that's issuing the visa or even recognized um, when you actually try to, to cross the border by the, the border officers. Why is it that uh, in practice it can be so difficult for refugees like Adieu or the students she's working with to, um, to actually use these travel documents and, and um, travel on them in practice? There are many, many reasons. These are three really solid ones, but there are, there are, unfortunately there are, there are many more than this. So the duration of, um, uh, of, of the lifespan of a travel document issued to a refugee is indeed one of the things that we're working on with governments around the world to to broaden and essentially to seek the same conditions as uh, as, as travel documents issued to nationals. I think one of the reasons, of course, that states issue short-term travel documents is that they are uh, ever optimistic about the possibility that refugees may wish to go home, which which refugees 
uh, often share, right? We're, we're all hopeful that people are able to go home sooner rather than later. But the um, but the reality is, unfortunately, that too many situations become protracted situations, and the human beings involved, the refugees involved, need to be able to make make their plans on a longer term basis. So that's one of the areas of advocacy that we and others are really taking up with with states that are issuing travel documents. And I think that's it's something to be honest that is that is going to be possible as more and more refugees access travel documents through the same mechanisms that nationals use. There should be much less of this back and forth that uh, that Adjur was was talking about to to seek to give reasons and to uh, to seek eligibility. Refugees will need to pay for travel documents on the same basis as everybody else, but once they're entering into that system, they should they should have the same access to it without discrimination. Why would the, the not being recognised by the by the issuance of visas, right, for the issuance of visas by countries that are deciding who can come. I, I think there are lots of different reasons, but the reality is that visas are issued to potential travelers on the basis of a set of criteria. And where a refugee, for example, uh, cannot demonstrate through a travel document that provides for return to the country of asylum, then that's going to raise a flag for lots of countries issuing visas, whereby the, the person will not be able to be given a visa because there's a fear that they will in fact then seek asylum and, and try to remain through the, the asylum seeking system to the, the refugee international protection system. Um, what, what we're trying to do is to work with states on establishing travel documents that are going to hold that, that confidence uh, that the refugee will be treated the same way as nationals of the country of asylum, which means that if a refugee travels anywhere else in the world, if a refugee travels from Tanzania to Kenya uh, for study, then at the end of their period of study that they would then be able to go back and they would they would commit to going back to Tanzania in order to then follow on with the rest of their lives. That requires a bit of trust between states uh, and the, the travel documents issued to refugees need to demonstrate that that trust. So it'll take a little bit of time for that to happen, I think, but, uh, but we're certainly working on it. With regard to recognition at borders, it can be really as simple as the International Civil Aviation Authority uh, work together with states around the world to establish a set of standards for what travel documents look like today. And what I talk when I say machine readability, there's a whole host of technical requirements for a travel document to meet those standards. So if a person is attempting to travel on a document that doesn't meet them, then very likely they just won't fit in through the machines at the airport. So, you know, they will then be blocked from travel because they don't come up with the security mechanism, even if even if a visa was potentially available. If they're not recognized by the border control officials, then the person won't get in. And again, this is really what we're trying to do with states around the world to issue travel documents that are in conformity with global standards and that in fact are recognized as a, as a document issued by that state, even though they're not offered to a national of the state, they're offered to a refugee who comes within that, that state's international protection. So how would this all work in an ideal world? Uh, if everything was working in the way that, that it should be from your perspective um, at UNHCR, how would a, a refugee actually access a travel document and use it to travel? There are countries, of course, that issue machine-readable travel documents to refugees. Ghana, Zambia, Uganda, Kenya, lots of countries in Africa, countries certainly throughout throughout Europe and the Americas. Um, you know, Rwanda has a fantastic example where if you go on to the Rwandan government's uh, application for passport page, it's under foreign affairs, it's not under any sort of refugee authority, uh, you seek a travel document and there's a button to click. Are you a national or are you a refugee? And you click on refugee and then you go through the process. So refugees would have a transparent 
way of entering the, the application system, that they would be treated by the government on the same basis as everybody else, criteria would be applied, and then they're able to pay a fee and move on. And obviously, if UNHCR is asking somebody like a Jew to attend a conference, then UNHCR may opt to pay for that. An employer may opt to pay for the travel document and the visa in the same way that, that many employers opt to pay for documents as people are, are traveling around the world. Um, but the rules would be the same and they would be clearly articulated and refugees would be able to seek redress if they were treated differently from their neighbors. So travel documents are one of the items on the agenda for the upcoming Global Refugee Forum in December, and the forum will be convening states, refugees, civil society, UN agencies, all to make commitments in support of refugees that are in line with the Global Compact on Refugees. I wanted to close by asking uh, both um, Jackie and Adu what you think states and other actors should be committing to at the forum, specifically with regard to refugee travel documents. Uh, Adu, maybe I'll come to you first. What should be on the agenda at the forum uh, to address some of the, the challenges that you've outlined? So my recommendation for the, the society, civil societies and um, private donors and all this, um, the, the host communities that are hosting refugees will be like, if they can actually um, try to have a longer period on the uh, conventional traveling document, like validity of the, instead of having two years, then they could make it five years. Number two is about um, the challenge of accessing this uh, conventional traveling document. It, they should make it hard for refugees to be able to access it. That is that, uh, instead of us carrying so many documents, then this conventional traveling document should act as a passport. That is, a refugee can be able to use it to open a bank account. A refugee should use this for traveling document. A refugee should use it as an ID instead of having it as just a traveling document, which is just a document that can allow you to move only, but you cannot access banking, bank, uh, bank services with it. You cannot use it as an ID. So it's like you have a traveling document, but still you need a supporting document to be able to validate whatever you have or to validate the traveling document you have. So the state should be able to commit to make sure that refugees will have an easy access to the uh, to the document and refugees should be able to use it not only for traveling, but to have a banking, uh, to access banking services with it. Like one in all, just like the way other nationalities have their passport. So it should act as a passport and all the function of passport should come with it. I like a use list. Uh, so so we'll, we'll, I'll build around that, I think. Um, I mean, I think the first thing is the, the Refugee Forum is an attempt to bring, well, it's, it's, it's so that we can bring states and civil society and academia and donors and host communities and so on all together, and certainly with a whole lot of refugees, uh, in order to really ask the question, how can the international community support hosting communities around the world? We have four pillars of, of work, one of which uh, looks at third country opportunities, but the second pillar is actually uh, is looking at livelihoods. And in 2023, if you're looking for an independent livelihood, then a movement for some reason, be it for long-term employment or just in order to be able to seek goods to sell, may require you to, to cross a border. So inclusion of refugees in the national system that is established for the issuance of 
machine readable, fully compliant travel documents is just one of the different forms of inclusion in national systems that we're trying to achieve. You know, we're trying to make sure that refugees are able to access healthcare and education and all sorts of other different mechanisms, and then that those uh, systems and services are supported by the international community. This is just another one of those systems and services. In 2023, refugees need to have equivalent access to travel documents as any other human being on earth. And those travel documents need to conform to current standards of security and machine readability. They need to ensure protection against refoulement or forced return to a place where their life or freedom may be threatened. They need to be of a duration that would allow for work and study visa application. They need to be renewable outside the country of, of asylum. And they need to allow for refugees to return to the country of origin, or excuse me, the country of asylum, which will then allow them to maintain relationships with family who do not travel, and which will reassure visa issuing authorities that short term visa issued under work study and other entry mechanisms are not, in fact, backdoors into a permanent stay. So those are that's, that's quite a combination of things, but ultimately it comes down to non-discrimination and to what, what is required for an ordinary life in 2023. That's quite a long list of things that, that need to happen. Uh, Jackie, I, one final question for you. I mean, what, you know, let's say that we get to the forum in December and uh, we get all of uh, pledges for all of these things on the table from, from different actors. What would actually then need to happen in practice to see those pledges through on, on the part of either host governments, um, donors, UNHCR? What would um, what are the next steps? So it's really about going country by country and having a look at where they are with their systems now and what they're doing to either improve or to continue to maintain their systems and then country by country to make sure that refugees are included. So if a country hasn't yet uh, put in place a system for its nationals to have access to an, an, a read, machine readable uh, travel document, then one hope would be that refugees would be included in that process. And so just as states need to issue documents to their nationals traveling on an ordinary basis to diplomatic uh, groups, et cetera, et cetera. Refugees would just be another type of document that would be issued and it would have some specificities, but basically it would be the same, same passport as anybody else. In countries where machine-readable travel documents are already being issued, but there are not available yet refugee travel documents, it comes down to making a new template, organizing for a first print run, and putting in place a system whereby refugees can apply for a travel document through the same mechanism or related mechanism to that, that, that that's used by nationals. Some of this, the barriers are going to be legislative. Some of the barriers are going to be sort of a willingness, more political. And some of them is going to be financial. So one of the things we can do at the forum is to, and we're really working on this in the run-up, but, uh, but certainly as we're working through this, all the way up to December at the forum and, and of course beyond, is to think about where there might be donors, where there might be actors who can... Uh, who can pair up, who can match up, you know, is there a company that is in fact uh, issuing printing on behalf of a government, the travel documents issued to nationals, can they produce a template that, uh, that, a, that a state might be able to use for refugees without charging the state, you know, is that a way of supporting the state with the work that it's doing to include refugees, and that's really the, the work we're doing country by country. Thank you so much, both. We'll all be watching eagerly in December to see if uh, we make any progress on addressing uh, some of these challenges. I, I think our conversation today has really touched on, um, you know, on, on a number of different things that make uh, the system difficult to work for refugees. 
um, among them being uh, anything from the reluctance of states to issue travel documents uh, to refugees without a reason, um, to the difficulties and, and challenges actually developing resources to get documents printed and ensure that they're um, actually able to be read, uh, to, you know, ensuring that visa officers or um, border guards are actually able to recognize um, these travel documents and that the travel documents then have sufficient uh, uh, duration and validity to actually allow refugees to, to do the travel that they needed. Um, hopefully we'll see some, some progress on, on these pieces come December, but thank you so much for joining us today and allowing us to get a better understanding of the, the, challenge, the challenges that the refugees actually face in, in making this work. So I want to thank both of our guests today once again, Adia Tu, uh, who runs Manikado, and Jackie Keegan, uh, who is Deputy Director at UNHCR's Division of International Protection. The questions of innovative solutions to the challenges facing our global protection um, system is something that occupies a lot of our time, uh, both for me and our colleagues at MPI and MPI Europe. And I want to mention before I close that we're delighted to be partnering with the Robert Bosch Foundation in Germany on an initiative called Beyond Territorial Asylum, Making Protection Work in a Bordered World, which is thinking through some of these questions and trying to offer solutions. If you'd like to learn more about that initiative, please visit migrationpolicy.org forward slash protection. And I want to mention that in the next few months, we will be releasing a piece looking specifically at this issue of refugee travel documents. So be sure to check back. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of World of Migration. You can find all the episodes for World of Migration and other MPI podcasts online at migrationpolicy.org forward slash podcasts or find us wherever you get your podcast, just search for World of Migration. And please do leave us a review while you're there. This episode was produced by Yusuf Hamid and Samuel Davidoff-Gore, and editorial input was provided by Michelle Middlestadt. Our theme music is Bright Idea by Geographer. My name is Susan Fratsky. Thanks so much again for listening. <laughs>